I know our theme this morning is joy, and we, we spoke earlier as a worship team praying together, thinking about how sometimes we feel like you might be fighting for joy. Yeah? Like you're just thinking, man, all this stuff going on, all of these distractions, everything hitting my, my brain, my mind, my eyes. Where is joy? Like, joy to the world? I'll sing the song, but uh, I'm, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. One of those moments. Well, I think if we do look around at culture and look around at society and, and if we look around even at our own families and things that are going on in our own lives, we can struggle at times because it seems so temperamental. Uh, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. I'll never forget one night watching a, a Bible teacher on uh, some channel on TV years ago, and he said, I got a letter the other day that uh, said that Al Gore was the Antichrist. And he said, he said and, and you said that God told you that. He said, God didn't tell you that. That's some bad pizza you ate right before you went to bed. So if we can be affected in our Bible understanding and prophecy interpretation by what we eat, certainly our joy quotient, if you will, can be affected. Well, I think if we look around at this world, yes, but the psalmist, the Old Testament psalms here are going to point us to something special this morning as we focus on the joy of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we sing with great enthusiasm, some of us, and others, as we just kind of mouth the words to joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. As we do that and look at the true desires of our hearts, there are times, maybe for some even today, that we confess that we are more prone to seek the gifts and the benefits that we get from Christ then we're actually seeking Christ. Father, there are times when we're frightened by what might happen and the cost maybe of us going all in, being completely sold out for the Lord. Lord, have mercy on us this morning. Cleanse us. Forgive the distorted images that any of us hold of our Lord this morning that prevent us from trusting and obeying and doing so with great joy. Lord, we ask these things this morning. Speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 96, please. Psalm 96, the first six verses we've already read. We'll work through the whole psalm. It's in three sections, the psalm is. There's a logical flow to this hymn that David wrote and it's nestled in uh, Psalm 93 through 99, I believe that's right. It's nestled in these seven psalms about the kingship of God. And so king shows up quite a bit and, and the language of royalty shows up quite a bit in these psalms. The first note I'd have you write down, it's a command and it does not require skill. There's no audition uh, with a panel of four incredibly wealthy folks sitting in the audience looking at the poor folks on stage trying to impress them. Here's the first command. You ready? Sing to the Savior. Sing to the Savior. You don't have to audition to sing. Now, we're not going to hand everybody a microphone. That's not what we're talking about. But sing to the Savior. 
um, we're, we're commanded to sing the God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, are a singing people. Heaven, a singing place. We're a singing people. You say, I don't care for singing. Well, you know, some of you have given up sugar. Some of you have given up other things. You can give up your Scrooge attitude on singing. So let's, uh, let's, let's dial in to what the Word of God says. Here's the deal. We've got a reason to sing. The command is to sing, look at the verse, oh, sing to the Lord, it shows up again, sing to the Lord, verse two, sing to the Lord, it's an imperative, there's some other verbs in there, when you're doing Bible study, you look for verbs, they're telling you something, now when you're in the Psalms, you recognize Psalms aren't like the epistles in the New Testament, so we're not really getting instructions on how to live life necessarily, explicitly through all the Psalms, what we are seeing our psalmist worshiping God and reflecting a normative behavior. So there's some things we can learn here this morning. Sing to the Lord. As we sing, we bless his name. Do you see it in verse two? When we sing to the Lord the way he wants to be sung to, we're actually telling of his salvation. Verse three, we declare his glory and his marvelous works. Who do we tell that to? Among the nations. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know you've got a precious Bible there that you like. Grace Covenant family, you know where I'm going with this, but if you've got a pen or something you can write with, nations is a great word to circle or to underline there. There's another phrase that comes into there that we like to think when we see sing a new song to the Lord, we're thinking of us a lot of times, aren't we? I do. I think of the church. We get to sing a song the Hebrews couldn't sing in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we get to sing a song the angels in heaven can't sing because they weren't redeemed. I mean, they're really good at worshiping, but only re- the redeemed can worship God the way God designed the redeemed to worship God. That's us, the church. But this new song that the people of God are being encouraged to sing, it's remarkable. A new song. What's new about it? That word, nations, is a new dimension to it. You say, Pastor, you're going to explain that? I am. Give me just a minute, I'll come back to it, okay? Why in the world would a people who don't normally sing or people who aren't prone to sing want to sing? And why would we sing of God's salvation? Well, verse four says, the Lord is great. He is greatly to be praised. Do you see it? He is worthy of praise. He's to be feared. That's not you cowering in the corners, shaking, afraid of God. It is a holy and a reverent fear of the Lord, though, that recognizes he's not just the man upstairs. He's not some cosmic bellhop set up to move at your whim. He's not Santa Claus year-round. That's not who God is. This is the ruler of the universe. This is God, glorious king. That's who we're talking about. The Lord who created everything. He is great and he is praiseworthy. He's to be feared. And he's verse five. He's not like other gods who are worthless. Well, he didn't pull any punches there, did he? I mean, these other gods are worthless. They're completely worthless. Gods made by men's hands are just that, creations of man. And then he points back and says, he, our God, is the creator. Verse five. Verse six. Our God, not their gods, is surrounded with splendor and majesty and strength and beauty. Wow. Wow. So if this psalm just ended right there, it's beautiful. 
It's fantastic. If the word new song wasn't in there, it still works. If the word nations wasn't in there, it still works. It actually fits most of the early Psalms. Calling the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, the Hebrews, to sing to the Lord. But that word new and that word nations is in there. You see, what the psalmist is doing here is he's telling the Hebrew people, our God is so awesome, he's for all the nations. Our God is so awesome and so praiseworthy that our enemies, the Gentiles, should be singing these songs with us. Now that's scandalous. They're not writing about Gentiles in a favorable way in much of the Old Testament. These are the enemy nations. They're dreaming of families and peoples outside of the people of God saying, we're going to invite them to worship Yahweh with us. Here we are, 2022, we're like, yeah, yeah, we get it, we're the church. This is such a colossal big moment in the hymns of the Old Testament. You see, when we talk about him being Savior, remember, this is before the incarnation, before Jesus came as a babe in a manger. This is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. Got it? And that they're calling him Savior. We can sing of his salvation. Israel could sing of the Lord's salvation anytime, even before the cross. God had saved them from Egyptian bondage. The Lord had saved them from starvation as they wandered in the wilderness. They could sing of his salvation because he had saved them in battle after battle from enemy after enemy. David would sing this song of praise as he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Obed-Edom where it had landed after it had been in captivity and he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. This is a song of high praise. The God that saves them was worthy of praise. The people of Israel could sing to the Lord because of His salvation. They could bless His name because of His salvation. They could tell a story every day because of His salvation. They could declare His glory because of His salvation. They could declare His marvelous works because of His salvation. But God was calling them to sing a new song. There was a dimension in the song that was going to push them, watch this, because it was going to push them outside the intimacy of their families. Jesus, or the Lord rather, was worth more than just their families. It was going to push them beyond the boundaries of their homes, the walls of their homes. God wanted Old Testament Hebrew people to live their lives in such a way that they lived with his glory on display outside the family, outside the home, outside the gates of the city, all the way to the ends of the earth. Why? Because they were awesome? Mm -mm. Because he was worthy. He's a savior. And him saving them from Egypt was enough to fuel this song. Remember, he hasn't come yet to die on the cross and take the sins of the whole world. And they're saying, God is worthy. Wow. Beyond Israel, God was calling them to sing so loud that the nations would know that he was God. And today, you and I, we have a song to sing. We can sing of his great salvation far better than the Hebrews could in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that he has delivered us, Colossians 1.13, from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've got a song to sing. 
The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. That's Galatians 1. We've got a song to sing. Galatians 4 tells us that at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born under the law, born of a woman to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We are a part of the family of God. Church, we've got a song to sing to a great Savior. Say amen. That's a song worth singing. I know you like rocking around the Christmas tree, but this one's better. He's a Savior. Well, we come to the second part, the second movement of this hymn, and we see it start in verse 7. I want to give you this header. It's a Bible word, but as I hunted for other words, you know, shocker, the Bible word really was the best word, even though it's not a word we use a lot. Ascribe to the king. So we sing of the Savior. We ascribe to the king. Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9. That word ascribe there means to recognize and to give appropriately to come and give what's what rightfully belongs it's not a tangible item necessarily but an attribute that we would use to describe we put this on someone essentially we are giving glory to the king look at the text verse 7 ascribe to the lord there it is o families of the peoples now, he's talking beyond the Hebrew nation here. I know that you're indulging me. Like, you see me wigging out over this, and I'm having a great time talking about this is for more than the Hebrews, right? It's what preachers do. We've studied this for a while, and we're like, this is awesome. Like, inside, I'm that little kid going, right? And y'all are going, this is very interesting. This is great. Move on, please. Okay. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. They belong to him. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. I've mentioned this to you before. When they mention, when they throw down his name, okay, they're not just saying like, yeah, his name, Jesus. They would never walk around and casually sing that Gaither song, there's just something about that name. They would never just casually sing that. When they talk about the name of God, it's like they would, they would have pulled their collars up and they would have stood up straight. It would have been right before like attention, right? And standing in attention because they're talking about the name of this God who created all things, who is above all things, who, who rules and reigns, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all wrapped up in the name that they would say, Lord, God, you are worthy. Ascribe to that God, our God, the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Somebody just touched their neighbor and said, I bet I know where he's going to land for a few minutes. No, no, no. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Just a few comments on these verses before we move to the final stanza of this great song. We're recognizing God's glory and strength. But remember, when he says the families of the peoples, he's talking about folks outside of Israel. Okay, let's, I'll do a little, <clears throat> ooh, I'll do a little call and response there. Let's see what happens. So remember the, the, ta the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. Who could get into the Holy of Holies? Do you remember? Does somebody know? The high priest. Great. 
you can't hear this online. I don't even know if we're online, but anyway, it's, uh, they're awesome. People are awesome. Um, so the high priest is the one invited in. And, and that's just not the priesthood. It's not just the Levitical tribe. This guy's got to soak in perfume for a long time. He can't have any sin. Like, he can't look at people. He probably has blinders on. They've got a bell tied to him. So if he goes in there and happens to have unconfessed sin and drops dead, they pull him out. Thank you that you don't do that or the little hook from, you know, the night at the Apollo to me. I'm grateful. So, so here we go. We've got this, this priest, the high priest in the Holy of Holies. But even in the courts beyond that, those were not open invitation. Like it was not anybody could come into those courts. Anybody could go anywhere they wanted to. I mean, we've got freedom. We walk around. You can walk around. I doubt you're going to get up and try to play the organ or mess with the piano or anything. But we can move around the, the sanctuary pretty freely. It didn't work that way in the Old Testament. This psalm is calling the Gentiles to bring an offering into a place that they can't get to. And calling them to come into courts that they're not allowed into. What is going on? Why? Because God is so worthy. And his salvation one day will be so great that the veil that separates the holy of holies from everybody will be torn in two. And we'll all have access because of us? No. Because of singing this great song? No. Because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Hebrew song, probably irritating some of the Hebrews because they're like, I don't want to sing a song about the Gentiles. I want to sing a song about us. Uh, he's pulling Psalm 96 again. I like the first part and the last, but not the middle, right? He felt, like a, left, he felt so left out, I wonder if he felt like the third verse in a Baptist hymn. Always gets skipped. So, seven of you got that. It's great. That's where I wanted to land. So, so we see here this, this psalm. We're, we're calling for the worship of God, the bringing of an offering, which is scandalous. The, the coming into his courts, which is scandalous, and worshiping God, which is scandalous for those who were outside of the Hebrew nation when this was written. You get this? This is awesome. I'll move on. How we worship God matters because he's told us how to worship him. We can get inspiration from the Psalms on how to worship God with great joy. Look at verse 9, how he says to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord, the Bible says, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. What in the world is that saying? It's saying this. Come and worship God. Lavish your love on him. He's worthy of offerings. He's worthy of sacrifice. He's worthy of generosity. He's worthy of you singing, even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. He's worthy of everything you can give him. Why? Because he's holy. There's no mention there of what he's done. He's saying worship God because he's holy and worship him in such a way, catch a glimpse of his holiness that you tremble before the Lord. This is not an intellectual assent to a worldview or an ideology. This is not, oh, I've considered the options and this seems to work out fine. I think I'll go this way. This is an all-in, God, you are worthy of my praise and my best. What a God, what a Savior. 
They were to give God all the glory. Israel, though they often lost their way, they were reminded often that their God was the true king. Even after failed king, after failed king, and, and, and even beyond this psalm's time stamp, they still knew that God was the righteous king. Beyond Israel, all the nations and peoples are to recognize the Lord's glory and strength. He is due all the glory from all the people. We should willingly worshipfully bring an offering to the God of this Bible because he's holy and today for me and you so there's Israel there's beyond Israel what about us today today with our Bibles in our hand with history on our side on this side of the incarnation on this side of the crucifixion on this side of the resurrection on this side of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to dwell in believers we ought to be a worshiping people because he's worthy of praise. That's a good spot for an amen. He's worthy of praise. We ought to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains Repeat the sounding joy. Wow. Repeat the sounding joy. We can bring offerings generously, faithfully, and at times sacrificially because the king's cause is a worthy cause. We can come into his presence with singing and into his courts with praise. We can draw near because of who he is. Finally, this morning, we've got a song to sing to a savior. We've got glory to give the king, and we've got something to say to the world. Well, you would think, man, after talking about a savior and the salvation of God, and then talking about the king ruling and reigning, are we going to get to give some kind of happy pep talk to the world? Is this going to be like, hey, Jesus is a friend of mine, right? It's what's our message? What's our message to the world? Let's look at the Bible. What does it say? Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad <clears throat> and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees and the, of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. He comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. What do we say? Say what? What do we say? We say, the Lord reigns. We say, the world is his. And we say, he is the righteous judge. You're like, you had me on the first one. Like it. Lord reigns. Hallelujah. The earth is his. Mm. I'm with you. But that judgment thing, come on, preacher. You want me to tell people that? Yes. Why? Because one day, all people groups, all tribes, all tongues, all religious affiliations or non-affiliations, all political parties, all socioeconomic statuses, everybody will stand before our king. Everybody will stand having done something with the invitation from our Savior. And when they stand before Him, they will stand before Him 
and he will be the judge, the righteous judge, the faithful judge, praise God, the judge who is worthy, but the judge. You see, creation already gets it. Creation, even in its fall, even in creation, affected by the curse, like creation didn't do anything wrong, but it, it got lumped in with the curse. There was, the ground became cursed. There's some things that, that creation is dealing with at, because of our sin. But even creation, it says the heavens are glad, the earth rejoices, the sea roars, the fields exult, the trees sing. Creation is singing and ascribing to God, <clears throat> saying the Lord <clears throat> reigns and it is in a suffering position. If creation can praise God while it's suffering, can you? Can you? Is it difficult for you to give glory and honor to God because you're so focused on the here and now and because things aren't going well? Have you been robbed of the joy of the Lord? Some of us in the room know what it's like to be robbed. But there's some things they can't get. The old gospel writer said, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. This joy that I have. David is calling the people to worship. This hymn is a wonderful hymn to the Hebrews in his day, but it's a great hymn for us today. We say to the world that the Lord will judge. We're tempted to see that point as conflicting with joy. Who puts joy and judgment together? God does. God does. We do. Because it brings the child of God, the people of God, great joy that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the Savior and the King is the only one qualified to be the righteous judge. You better be thankful we're not electing a judge for eternity. <laughs> How's that working for us? You, you better be thankful that, that, that this judge rules in righteousness and splendor and glory and beauty and strength surround our judge. From the oldest writings that God's people had access to, Israel was set out as a marked people. They, they knew that God was setting them apart. They were being set apart so that as other nations looked on Israel and saw their difference, they could proclaim by their difference, the Lord reigns, the whole earth is his, and our God is the righteous judge. Beyond Israel, they were good at telling their neighbors this, and now God was calling them to tell the nations, even their great enemies. The Lord reigns, all creation is His, and He alone will judge in righteousness and in faithfulness. Paul picked up on this theme for us in Romans 14, saying we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess, so then each of us will give an account of himself. We have something to say to the world, and we can say it with great joy and with biblical authority. Here it is. We're going to tell the world, our God reigns. He is king. Hallelujah. We're going to tell the whole world, the whole world is his. He is the creator and the redeemer. He paid the price. He purchased it with his own blood. We're going to tell the world. He is the righteous judge. He rules now. He will rule for all eternity. And his rule is faithful and true. Joy to the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. If Israel could sing to a Savior way back then with only Egypt and a couple of battles in mind, 
I think we can and must sing today that new song to our Savior who has saved us from hell. If Israel could sing a song, the church can sing a song. If creation can glorify the king, even affected by the curse, surely in our brokenness we can be glad. We can rejoice along with the earth. We can roar with the sea. We can exult with the fields. We can sing with the trees. Surely the people of God can glorify our king. And if the nations then, back then, can say to the world that the Lord is the righteous judge, even before Calvary's cross had happened, surely with our Bibles open, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, dying to self and trembling at the Lord's holiness, we can say to the world, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The Savior has come. The King of King reigns and He will judge with righteousness. Joy through the world. That's what we're commanded to take. We're ambassadors of hope. We're ambassadors of peace. And you and I this morning are ambassadors of joy. I'm going to ask Miss Julia to come if she's nearby. I think they're getting her now. Think about the Great Commission and the charge the Lord gave us to go and tell the world. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all nations, not just the then known world, but all nations. Go, therefore, and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Wow. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In the final chapters of Revelation, this judge, this Savior, this King, says this as we think about the Advent season. And the waiting. I read a little note that said, Advent is about waiting. <clears throat> Christmas is about wanting. And then the funny part was, tell your kids it's Advent. Anyway, you'll get that in a minute. He says in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears come. That's us. We get to come. Scandalous, I know. Sinners get to come to the foot of the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sinners, you, me, God knows everything about us, every thought we've ever had, every deed we've ever done, every word we've ever spoken and the ones we didn't have the courage to. He knows us and He still invites us commands us to come and to glorify Him as Savior, as King and Judge. We have a song to sing. We have a King to worship. And we have a message to share. Let's pray.
Lord, you are Savior, so we can sing. You are the King, so we can worship. And you are the judge that's coming soon, so we must tell all. Lord, we have a message of hope, of peace, and of joy to share with the nations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making us your ambassadors. Thank you so much that you are God, and beside you there is none other. We love you. We worship you. We glorify you today in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.